Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you. You are worthy of our, you are worthy of all of our praise. We glorify you tonight with our hearts and our minds. We sing to you. We thank you for our brothers and sisters who've led us in worship. We thank you for them being faithful to do this every week as we begin our time together. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. We thank you for your kindness to us. You alone are worthy of our praise. As the living creatures cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. We celebrate and we honor you tonight. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us. We pray that tonight you would meet us as we gather here around the Word of God and that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that we might truly hear and understand, gain some insight tonight as to what you'd have to teach us so that we might better live for you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your loving kindness and your care for us and your grace and mercy in all of our lives. We pray for that one that you may have put on our heart tonight, and that we pray for them that you might be with them in a special way. And we pray for those who are not able to be with us tonight, who are watching, and we pray a blessing on them. We thank you for their lives, and we pray for the day they can rejoin us here in this place. So for all of our time together, we now honor you and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good evening. Good to see all of you who are here tonight, and I hope that you picked up a copy of the outline. It's somewhere out there in the, uh, uh, somewhere, and uh, you can pick that up and, and follow along with us. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking in the book of Philippians over the next little while together. Uh, Philippians is where we'll be, and tonight we'll be looking at the first 11 verses of the book of Philippians. So Philippians chapter 1, uh, and we'll be looking at verses uh, 1 through 11. Let me get my, my Lord's Supper cups and items are spilling a little bit here, so y'all excuse me while I do a little housework here. All right. Well, I don't know how much you've had the opportunity to read the book of Philippians, but here we find Paul's letter, this warming, encouraging, confident, joyful letter of Paul the Apostle. Paul is in prison while he's writing these words. They teach us a lot about what it means to be a Christian who encourages other people. I hope you're an encouraging Christian. I hope you're not a critical Christian. I hope that you're one who, from your heart and life, when people talk with you, they know and they, they sense the warmth and joy of your life. And it just comes out all through the book of Philippians. There are no Old Testament quotations in this book. Uh, this, this church at uh, Philippi uh, was the first church in Europe uh, to be established. And in Acts chapter 16, the story goes of those three first converts, uh, the jailer, Lydia, and the demon-possessed girl. And many others came from that experience of Paul being there uh, as he planted that church and as they grew. Paul's words remind us of what it means to have warm-hearted Christian fellowship. 
I pray that that will be true for our church. Warm-hearted Christian fellowship. I pray that will be true for our church. I pray that that will be true for all the relationships of the people in our church. Warm-hearted, warm-hearted Christian love and fellowship for one another. We need that in our lives desperately. You need it. Paul needed it. Paul wasn't ashamed to say what he needed. He needed these dear Philippian Christians as he was there in prison in Rome, separated from them. We know about separation these days. And they were separated from him and they'd been hindered from helping him for a season and now things seem to be back to normal. Think about the time in which Paul lived. No jet airplanes, no modern transportation, no modern technology. Uh, his technology was this ability to write these letters and to write these letters in such a way that uh, he tried to instruct from being absent from them. Paul, the church planter, uh, the preacher, the apostle, the one who was sharing the gospel with the Gentile world, primarily the Philippian church, a Gentile church. So the way in which Paul writes to the Philippians is important, and it's important for us. So I, I want us to see the various ways in which Paul works with, encourages, and speaks with these Philippians. And perhaps we'll learn something about what it means to love one another better as followers of Jesus at First Baptist Church. Well, the outline is very simple. I've just basically taken the first 11 verses. He prays a blessing of God's grace and peace for the church. He thanks God for their work in the gospel. He is confident that God will continue and complete His work through the church till Jesus Christ comes again. And he prays for their spiritual growth. So I want to take these four elements and for uh, some time here tonight, uh, however much we, we spend on it. We're just going to walk our way through these verse, uh, first 11 verses. And I hope and pray that they'll be a blessing to you and that you'll find encouragement from them. So let's read them tonight. Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you, about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this I pray, 
that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, Heavenly Father, bless the reading of your word and may the Holy Spirit of God be our teacher tonight. Whatever our circumstances that we've brought in here, as Eric prayed, I pray also that you would help us to focus our minds on your word and that you would remove the distractions from our minds so that for just a little while we might take in your word and might be encouraged by it as we seek to live for you and to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So he begins by identifying that Paul and Timothy, they are slaves of Christ Jesus. This is a common phrase. This was a common phrase among all the apostles. They had a perspective about their work in ministry. It's a good, it's a good idea. It's a good understanding for all of us who serve God in doing ministry as God's people. We're slaves to Jesus Christ. This word for slavery here is a voluntary slavery. It is a it is a bond slave. It is someone who yields the rights to their own life in order to serve someone else. They're not a servant because in the old days there were servants because they had debts to pay. So they worked for the one that they owed their money to so that they could work their way out of their slavery. Now this is bond servants, those who commit themselves, dedicate themselves for all of their life to the complete service of a master. That's a good way for us to think about our own relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of you in this room tonight, others of you listening to me, so you have your ministries. Do you ever consider yourself in your ministry to be a slave of Jesus Christ? That's the best place to be. Because it's our, willing, it's our willingness to be a slave to Jesus Christ that gives us the freedom and the joy to trust God with all of our life. When we try to do things on our own, we try to control things. You see, the, the bondservant yields all the control of his or her life to their master. And so Paul and Timothy, bondservants. Paul, not only Paul, but Timothy. Partners in, bondserv in bondserv being bondservants to Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that our church would be filled with people who do ministry and carry out their ministries as slaves of Jesus Christ. Notice that it is not here that he describes himself as uh, Paul and Timothy servants to the Philippian church. He describes himself here in this title that he's most proud of. Remember, writing these words from Rome as he's a prisoner, as he's imprisoned in Rome. He's a bond servant of Christ Jesus. When I find myself understanding my place, oh yes, I'm an adopted child of God. Paul talks a lot about adoption. We talked about it last week, about being justified by faith, declared righteous with God, being forgiven of our sins, experiencing the adoption as children. But Paul also understood himself as committing himself willingly, wholeheartedly to be a servant, a slave, I'm using that word because it's better for us, a slave with no rights to Jesus Christ. 
So I ask you tonight, is that who you are? Are you living and are you willing to yield your rights and commit yourself to be a slave of Jesus Christ and do whatever He calls you to do? And then notice, He speaks to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. He calls them saints. There's nobody who talked more and expanded more on the reality of our sinfulness than Paul. He, he helps us in all of his letters. And I'm um, speaking to Wednesday night people. Most of you have a lot of knowledge of the Bible. Oh, Paul helps us to understand Romans 3. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Romans chapter 6. To whomever you enslave yourself or whoever you serve, you become their slave. And if it's to sin, sin is your master. He talks about there's none righteous, no, not one, quoting from the Old Testament in the, in the book of Romans. He speaks always, we don't sin so that grace might abound. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. Paul talks a lot about sinners in their unsaved condition and sinners saved by grace. And we've been talking about that on Sunday morning. But now Paul shifts and reminds these followers of Jesus at this church that he loves so much. He, he says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints. To all the saints. This word saint. Holy ones. That's what you and I are now. In Jesus Christ, we have been declared righteous. We are now those who are made holy by the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, separated now, as we saw uh, two weeks ago as we were finishing looking at being called obedience. What does the Lord say for us? First Peter. What did Peter say? Be holy in all your manner of conversation and in your behavior. Be holy as I am holy. You are a holy one now. You are to be holy ones in this world. You're to live your life in holiness. I ask you tonight, do people in the world see a difference in you? Do they see a difference in your values, your attitudes, your lifestyle? Are you caught up in the same things they're caught up in? Do you live a compromised uh, life? You have a little bit of this flesh and sin in your life and you have a little of the Holy Spirit. You, you live in lukewarmness. There's not a real difference and a distinctiveness in your life. You're not like salt. You're not like light. To all the saints... And notice what he says here. These words are important. To all the saints in Christ Jesus. There's nobody among the apostles who speaks more to us about what it means to be in union with Jesus Christ. The most dramatic example of that, you remember when Paul talks about avoiding immorality, sexual immorality. He says, should you go and join yourself to a harlot? God forbid. Because Christ is in you. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit given to you by God? Yes, you see, we're united to Christ. And so He is in us, we are in Him. The Lord Jesus spoke of this over and over again that, that those who obey Him, the Father and He will come. All of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will come and dwell in us. So please notice this phrase, 
to all the saints in Christ Jesus. So I speak to all the saints in Christ Jesus who have any relationship to First Baptist Church and those of you listening to us the same way. He prays a blessing. He pronounces a blessing on them because he goes on to say to them, notice he, he also includes among the saints their leadership, those who are overseers, that is the, the preachers, the bishops, the pastors, and the deacons. So the, the church at Philippi had grown enough that they had those who led the church. And that's a part of what happens in every church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are pastors and teachers and deacons and leadership there to serve and to minister and carry out the work of the gospel. So Paul and Timothy, bondservants, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, and here's his blessing to them. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever received a, maybe, it was, maybe nowadays it'd be an email or it might be a handwritten letter. Actually, there, is, there are people who still mail letters. And, or maybe it's a card or something you received years ago from someone, a warm-hearted letter, and you've treasured it for all these years. Well, this is what Paul's about to do. He's about to write his friends, his brothers and sisters in Christ at Philippi, and give them some encouraging words. Interesting. The man who probably needed more encouragement than they did is the one who encourages them. I find that interesting sometimes in the church when people complain that they're not being encouraged or loved enough. I, I find that unusual. Because really I'm not to be complaining about what someone's not doing for me as a follower of Jesus. I'm to be doing what I want others to do for me. I, I, I want to learn how to encourage other people not whine about why I'm not being encouraged. This is just an interesting thing for me. I've always been fascinated in church ministry about those who would whine and complain because they don't feel like they're being encouraged. If any man who for the most part was all alone except for these few workers that he's going to speak of later in this letter who were from Philippi, if any man needed encouragement, it was Paul. The Lord had told him to go and to speak to the kings and to share the gospel with the Gentiles. I wonder, we're going to learn in this letter what he really thought. Well, he was confident. He was joyful. He was believing God and trusting God. He was contented. And he was learning how to live in the victory of Jesus Christ in his circumstances he encourages these people. That's the warmth of this letter. That's what ought to go on in the Christian church. Encouragement. Confident, joyful encouragement. Not nitpicking. Not complaining. Not whining. Encouragement. So Paul doesn't get far, and here's what he says. Grace to you saints who are in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace to you, is what he implies here, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's think about this for a minute. Grace. When you describe grace, you're describing all that's in the gospel. 
When you, when you describe grace, you're describing all that's in the character and nature of God and in the Lord Jesus Christ and in the work of the Holy Spirit. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is great, grace that will pardon and cleanse from sin. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sins. Grace, it is, it is uh, we're, we're justified. Paul uses that interesting phrase in Romans 3.24, we're justified by grace. God in His graciousness, when we repent as sinners, when you repented and you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, He declared you as righteous. It was by His grace that He did that. You didn't deserve it, nor did I, but He justified us. He saves us by His grace. What, what's happening in my life, in your life? Well, there came a point when we were saved from the penalty of our sin. You've heard these things before. Now we're in the process of living for the Lord and the Holy Spirit's working in our lives and we're being saved from the power of sin. We have to learn how to rely on the Holy Spirit of God. By the grace of God, He helps us to overcome our sinfulness and to kill the sin in our lives. And then we'll be saved from the presence of sin. Praise the Lord. When, we, uh, when we're finished here and the Lord's finished His work with us here of refining us and making us like Christ, and we go to heaven. So justified by God's grace, declared righteous by the grace of God, saved by God's grace, and we serve by God's grace. This, this verse in Ephesians uh, 4, 7 is always not as familiar, but it is the word that describes your spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gifts are called grace gifts. They are the gifts of God's grace to you. And every believer in this room or whoever's listening and, and I'm speaking to today, if you're saved, you have within you spiritual gifts that God has placed in you supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says in Ephesians 4, 7, but to each one of us who are believers, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. That's what I want you to hear tonight. This is Paul's reminder about grace and then the throne of grace. Uh, we learned in Hebrews chapter 4, we come boldly to the throne of grace for help in time of need. Oh, the grace of God. The grace of God surrounds you, my friend. The grace of God helps you and saves you. The grace of God justifies you. The grace of God gifts you. God's grace the grace of God in your life. Grace to you, First Baptist Church. Grace to you. May the grace of God be strong in your life. May you discover the, the joy and celebrate the grace of God that has been given to you. The grace of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who graciously died for our sins. And then peace. Uh, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. Grace to you saints, and peace to you. This word peace, it is the word that has to do with not just, uh, it, it is, it's, it's an idea of, of uh, rest or tranquility, quietness. It's very interesting. It's the word similar to the word used all through the Old Testament, shalom. 
The Hebrew word shalom is this word for everything as it should be in peace. You see, that's what the world wants. Everything as it should be, but nothing's as it should be because of sin. Nothing's as it should be. There's nothing but lack of peace and drama and trouble. Oh, may the peace, may God's peace be toward the church. May grace and peace be real in First Baptist Church as Paul speaks of it for the Philippians. I speak of it as your pastor for all of you. Grace to you and peace. Peace. It's not just the idea of, of, uh, of being without warfare. It is an idea of rest. Are you living in the full peace that comes through knowing Jesus Christ? Well, we have this great promise in Ephesians 2.14. For He Himself is our peace, who made both groups one. He's talking about here the relationship of reconciling Jews and Gentiles, ethnic groups who who were always at war. And now through the reconciliation of the cross and the gospel, these two groups become one. He is our peace. He he connects our relationships to one another. He brings peace among those who are enemies, but there's peace with God. We learn that, don't we, in the gospel. Romans 5, 1. We know what it teaches us about the importance. We have peace with God. Peace with God. There's, There's now peace between sinful man, rebellious mankind, and a holy God because of Jesus Christ's death on the cross and our faith in Him, we, we experience peace with God. And in this very book, in Philippians chapter 4, we'll get to it again. We've looked at it before. Some of these verses in Philippians are very familiar to, it, to you. When you pray, what happens? Look at this. This is in Ephesians 4, 7. Don't be anxious for anything. You see, this is why He's talking to us. Church, are you anxious tonight? First Baptist Church, saints of God. Here in Dixon County, Dixon, Tennessee, are you living in anxiety? Are you living in torture? Peace. Peace to you. Peace to you. Peace as it should be. Be anxious for nothing in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which passes all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds. It's the peace that we have because our relationship with God is right. And then the Holy Spirit brings peace. What is it that we learn about the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. It's a part of what the Holy Spirit brings to your life. Grace to you all tonight. And peace to you. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And peace from God for all of our circumstances. This, uh, this passage in 2 Thessalonians is not as well known. i just read it to you here. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 Now may the Lord of peace Himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. Now I need to say that to all of you because as you sit here tonight, you all have your own set of things, don't you? All of you listening, you have your own set of things. And some of them are deeply troubling to you. Some of them are carrying you farther away from God. 
Some of them have made you bitter toward other people and unforgiving. And hate and vengeance and pain and sorrow has come to be a part of your life. Listen to, listen to me tonight. May the Lord, may the Lord of peace himself. This is for you. May the Lord of peace himself grant you peace. Listen, in every circumstance. Peace when you lose your job. Peace when you get sick. Peace when people reject you. Peace when you don't understand what's going on in your mind and your trouble. Peace. May the Lord of peace grant you peace in every circumstance of your life. The Lord be with you all. This is just the beginning of Paul's words in this Philippian letter. They mean so much. This bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ now speaks words of encouragement. He encourages them. He speaks a blessing on them. You know what? This is a good first principle for us all to learn. How about this? Bless other people. Bless them with these kinds of words. Say to them, grace to you and peace from God. Say that to your friends. Say that to your work, your, your, the people you work with. Say that to your children, your grandchildren. Say that to your husband or your wife. Say that to yourself. Grace to you. Grace to you and peace. These are the things that bless us. These two, these two words bring such blessing and encouragement to our life. And grace and peace come from the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ to the church. That's what the church is supposed to be, a place of people filled with and covered by the grace of God, showing grace to others, and people who have made peace with God being at peace with others. Well, he thanks God for, the work, for their work in the gospel. He goes on, and now in the next paragraph, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul's sitting in this place in prison, separated from his beloved friends in Philippi who had done so much for him. Look at the warmth of his words. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. When he thought about them, he thanked God for them. You know, it would do us all good. You might be separated from space and time from some of these people in your life, or some of them may be with the Lord. It's good once in a while to sit down with a piece of paper and write down and thank God for all of those that you remember who have walked with you in your spiritual life. You ought to write their names down. You ought to pray for them. And if they're gone to be with the Lord, you ought to thank God for them and what they did for you before they were dead and gone. Paul had a warm-heartedness for those who walked with him in the gospel. He, didn't, he kept short accounts. You know, I, I talk about this a lot. You've got, you got to keep short accounts. Some people have a long list with a lot of people's names on it that they're still holding things against, and that's why they're so miserable and nobody wants to be around them. They got long lists. Keep your accounts short. 
Keep your accounts short. Who do you remember? Who warms your mind and your heart when you think about what they've done in your life? Always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. In view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul remembered those who walked and worked and served alongside of him in the, in the gospel, in the ministry. I really do mean it. Some of us ought to sit down and make a list and thank God. And if they're still alive, pray for them who have been with you and walked with you in ministry life. And for some of us who've been along, alive a long time, we need to do that. We need to do it. It'll improve your prayer life when you think about those who have served, the God, who've served God faithfully through all the years. It'll do your heart good to think about not the troublemakers, but those who have been faithful and served God all the day long. In this last year, we've said goodbye to some of those wonderful, wonderful people who've been a part of this church many, many years, and uh, they've gone to be with the Lord this year. And they were beloved, and they were loved, and they loved others. You need to see, this is what warms our heart. Not only the grace and peace of God, but our, are you listening? Our fellowship with one another in the gospel. What a sad thing it is when people believe that they do their ministry on their own and they're a lone ranger. Well, I'm just going to do what God tells me to do. You, you don't do... Ministry for the gospel is never done on our own. Paul could have said, I thank God upon all my remembrance of you because you were always there to support me as I did all the work. No, that's not what he says. Paul is warmed up in his heart as he thinks about it. He has joy. He has wonderful remembrance because they participated in the gospel. I wonder what that dear slave girl was doing for the sake of the gospel. After Paul was so annoyed, he cast the demons out of her. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But it happened that as they were going to the place of prayer... A slave girl having a spirit of divination met us. This is Luke writing in Acts 16, verse 16, who was bringing her masters much profit for fortune telling. So this slave, this demon-possessed slave girl was making a lot of money for her masters. She followed after Paul and after us, and she kept crying out, These men are bond servants of the Most High. By the way, interesting. These men are slaves of the Most High God. The demons knew who Paul was. Who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days. Now, don't you love this about Paul? But Paul was greatly annoyed. He got sick of hearing this demon. In this dear girl. And he turned and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And it came out of her that very moment. I wonder what that dear slave girl, how she participated in the gospel. Or Lydia, 
or the Philippian jailer and the many others that came as a result of the work they did. He thanked God. He thanked God. He prayed for them and thanked God for their participation in the ministry and the gospel. And I thank God for the many in this church who do the same. I wish there were more that were not just bystanders, but I'm glad for those who participate and labor in the gospel in this place. Then he speaks of his confidence in them. He tries to encourage them. Verse 6. This is a famous verse. Most of you have heard preachers uh, preach on it. Some of you in this room teach and you've taught on it. But you must read it in its context. He's been talking about how they have been participating in the gospel. For I am convinced uh, or I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. I think there are two ways, several ways to look at this. Paul believes that God will finish the work of this church of sharing the gospel. They have a work that's been given. The good work is the gospel. That's the good work. First, you see, we, we're, we're Americans. We like to take and personalize the Bible and say, what's in it for me? I mean, it's kind of like when you go to Walmart, right? What's in it for me? I'm a consumer. But you see, Paul's writing to them all. He's writing to them as a group. He's speaking to them in the plural as I'm speaking to this church as I start this uh, time. I am confident, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you, these ones that I've just talked about, Lydia, the slave girl that was demon-possessed, the Philippian jailer and Epaphroditus, some others that are named. God did a good work in their life, but the gospel is the good work. The gospel is the good work. Are you about the good work? I'm asking you tonight. Are you about the good work? Are you cheering on somebody else in the good work? Are you about the good work? Are you about telling others about the gospel? Well, you see, that's why the church is here. That's why First Baptist Church exists. We're not a club to walk around and just be with our friends. We're here to advance the gospel in Dixon County. Paul believes that God will finish the work that church was doing around the good work of the gospel. And I believe the same about this church. God's going to use this church to finish its work of sharing the gospel until Jesus comes. Paul believes that God will finish the work of salvation. Obviously, yes. That's the good work. The good work of the gospel first being shared. The good work of the gospel inside of me when I'm saved. That's the good work that's going on in your life that God is doing. He's doing a good work in you. The Holy Spirit of God is working now to make you more like Jesus Christ. To refine you. To purify you. The Holy Spirit of God is working to sanctify you as we call it. You've been justified. Now the work is on. To make you more like Jesus Christ. It is the good work. The good work of the gospel to be shared. The good work of salvation being produced inside of us. And this good work will not be finished, please notice, until Jesus comes again. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ must be anxious and ready about the coming of the Lord. Not sleeping away our days as if there's more time to go. 
You see, the, the apostles preached and taught and the early church believed the Lord is near. I wish I could say that was the attitude of the modern church, but it seems we are quite sleepy and drowsy. We've been caught up in our own little busyness and things, and we've forgotten the most dramatic event yet to come is the coming day of the Lord and the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is coming It is coming whether the world mocks and ridicules and whether carnal Christians deny it and live as if it's not going to happen. The Lord Jesus is coming again. And and here, two times in these verses that we're looking at, Paul reminds us of until the day of Jesus Christ. God does His work. Listen, He keeps doing His work until... The church's work is done until the coming of Jesus Christ. Good work. Anything accomplished by hand or mind. That's this word word, work. So the good work is the gospel. The good work is is salvation that is the result of the gospel believed. And we have this to do. And I say to First Baptist Church, he, I am confident. I am confident that he who began a good work in you, plural, in you, singular, will complete it. God finishes what He starts. And He will do it until the day of Jesus Christ. You say, Pastor Mike, what's going on in the churches of today? Well, God is at work. God is at work finishing the good work. You've got to look for the good work sometimes beyond the bad work. But it's there. The good work. Paul goes on and he, he elaborates here a little bit. He says, for it is only right for me to feel this way. See, he feels this way because, he, and he says, I feel this way about all of you. Notice it's plural, all of you, because I have you in my heart. What a joyful thing to have other people. Do you have... Are other people who are part of this church in your heart? Well, of course, Pastor Mike, my good friends, Paul includes them all here. He doesn't speak to just a certain few. He says the whole church, the whole Philippian church, he has them in his heart. Are God's people in your heart? Are the people of First Baptist Church in your heart? Since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of the grace of God with me. The same grace in you is the same grace in your brother or sister in Christ. The same grace of God that's been given to you is the same grace of God that's given to them. We're sharers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation and of the grace of God. And then what does he do? He prays for them. Quickly, he prays for them. And notice the way in which he prays. It's it's Paul, by the way, I didn't want to read verse 8. And God is my witness. By the way, notice this. He first he says, I have you in my heart. This is this is warm hearted. This is the this is the warm heartedness of Christian love. 
This is the way it's supposed to be among God's people. This is the way it's supposed to be among God's people. Where grace and peace are there and there's participation in the gospel. You get in there and you do it together. And guess what happens? Paul says, I have you in my heart. God is my witness how I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. What a statement. Do you love your fellow Christian like that? Or do you just nod, wink, and give them a high, high five, thumbs up? Hope you're, hope you're going to make it. i got a lot of things to do. I'm busy. But I love you, man. I love you, man. Now, Paul... Paul shows that he has a love in his heart for them and he has affection for them because you know what he does? He prays for them. You know, you can determine... Who you love, you pray for. Who you love, you pray for. And here he says, and this I pray. Notice, this is one of those classic things. Paul. So the sentence starts in verse 9 and it finishes in verse 11. Paul puts a lot of things in his sentences. I pray first that your love will abound still more and more. Agape love. Love that sacrifices for others. Christ-like love. Love for God. Love for the work of the gospel. Love for, love for people. Love for one another. I pray that your love will abound still more and more. That's what we must pray for this church. That our love will abound more and more. We don't love enough. We have to love more. We don't love enough. We have to love more. He says, and that you would also, notice he prays that their knowledge would be real knowledge, that their knowledge of God and of His Word would grow. It would abound more and more in real knowledge. And then he prays for their discernment. You know, everyone in this room, we need discernment so that we might know God's will and how to live in the world. And that's what he means by the next phrase, verse 10, so that, here's the purpose, that you approve the things that are excellent. Are you li Do you have spiritual discernment in your life that helps you approve what is excellent, and that's it. You're not going to go for. You're not going to go for good. You're not going to go for better. You're going to go for best. As it relates to following Jesus Christ, are you living with excellence in your life? Are you a person described as a, as a person of excellence? Excellence in your. Self-control, excellence in your conversation, your language, excellence in your mind, and what you think, excellence. You see, this is it. Paul prays that their love would grow and that their real knowledge of God and of God's Word. You see, the more I know about God and His Word, the more it gives me discernment to say, you know what, I don't need to be doing those things. That's not like God would have me to do. And so the discernment leads to doing God's will and approving things that are excellent so that, notice he says, we're sincere and blameless. How do I get to sincerity and blamelessness? Only as I grow in my love and my real knowledge and then discernment comes to help me 
discern God's will. Oh, we need discernment in these days in which we live. And finally, he prays that they would be filled with fruitfulness. Notice, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So when you have warm heartedness and you love those that you work with and serve and minister with in the gospel, you, you pray for them. I hope you pray for others in the church, not just for our sick. And I don't mean that in the way it's going to sound. We must pray for the sick. We must do that. We must pray for those who are broken. But do you pray for the rest of God's people in First Baptist Church? When was the last time you sat down and you said, Lord, I pray this now for First Baptist Church. I pray this that their love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that they may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until. See, we do all of that until, another one, until the day of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. I think that what you'll find if you stay with me in the book of Philippians over the next weeks, I hope you'll read it. Uh, next week we move on through the chapter. We'll, we'll work our way on through a little ways further, but uh, I hope you'll read it because it'll teach you how to love other people. It'll show you what it means to be warm-hearted and loving and encouraging and joyful, and that's what we need in a joyless, hateful, cynical cruel world. That's what we need. So may the Lord give us wisdom tonight and thank you for being with me and thank you for listening. Heavenly Father, we commit your word now to our minds and our hearts. We thank you for Paul's testimony, his example. What an example. A great preacher, a great teacher, a great soul winner, a great discipler, but a man who loved God's people. How we pray that you would teach us to love all of the saints of God in Christ Jesus that are a part of this church that we associate with to the glory of God until Jesus comes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. Those of you who joined us, May the Lord bless you. Come back when you can. Lord willing, we'll see you Sunday. Say hello to somebody on your way out. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week.